after lots of baptisms and baptism sermons within the Koch family, and given their presence, uh, at least for many of them, for all 34 years of ministry, my ministry here at Little Farms, I was stuck. What do I preach about on baptism that that family hasn't already heard? And so you search, you search diligently, and at some point you just say, well, I'm just going to go back to Leviticus. Maybe there's something there. And then in God's providence, we come to Leviticus chapter 20, because that's where we are in our study of the book of Leviticus. And as I read this passage, just understand the fear and trepidation of your own pastor as he read the passage and then thought, and this for a baptism Sunday. And yet the more I read it and the more I reflected upon it in the day and age in which we live, this is indeed the providence of God that he has put before us tonight. And although a great portion of this message tonight, you're going to say, this is not really positive and uplifting, Pastor Bob. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. And it certainly isn't as you read the horror of Leviticus 20. But it's in the midst of that that we have to remember the greater context. That these were God's covenant people. And what it truly means to be one of those covenant people in this day and in this age as well. And so hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get there before the end of the message. And you will also be encouraged Uh, especially for Hannah and Vince in this evening as you have brought Emery uh, to be baptized and to have the Lord's name placed upon her. And so we read this evening the first five verses of Leviticus chapter 20. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Moloch, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Moloch and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and I will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Moloch. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, will you give Pastor Bob what is needed to explain your word and the truths within it and open our hearts to give us understanding of these truths. In our Savior's name we pray, amen. Amen. So from this passage tonight we want to look at three things. First of all, the sin that is involved. Secondly, the punishment that God requires. And thirdly, the covenant 
And if I were to follow it up, it's the covenant that was ignored. The sin, the punishment, and the covenant. Well, what is the sin? Well, it's the sin of the worship of Moloch. And you say, well, who is Moloch? Well, 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 7 tells us that Moloch was the god of the Ammonites. We also find out in other passages that Moloch was also worshipped by the Canaanites, the people who currently, at the time Leviticus 20 is given, who live in the land of Canaan, who God is going to drive out from before the Israelites so that they do not encounter these people and their practices. But aside from that, actually very little is known about Moloch. There are some of these various gods that we encounter in the Old Testament that that one can find reams of information about. But Moloch, very little is said, even in the word of God. And and if we consult outside sources, historical sources, archaeological sources, we don't come up with much about Moloch. Very little is said. It's almost as if God simply mentions the name and that which is associated with Moloch is such an abomination that nothing else is to be said. It is to be such an affront to the people of Israel that he doesn't even go into great detail or much detail at all. Because the sin was really twofold. The sin was not only in the worship of Moloch, the acknowledgement of Moloch as a deity, as a god, small g, that was to be worshipped, that was to be obeyed, that was to be followed, rather than the Lord God, you'll notice that the passage keeps coming back to given one of his children to Moloch. It is this that God is keying in in here in Leviticus chapter 20. The practice of giving one's children to Moloch. Not just the worship of Moloch, that in itself is offensive. That already God has commanded, you shall have no other gods before me. What God is pointing out in Leviticus 20 is the fact there is to be a punishment for one who gives his children to Moloch. Now what does that mean? Well, other passages of Scripture enlighten us somewhat in regards to this. Let me read a couple of them. One is 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 3. It is in regards to King Ahaz. And we read, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. It is said of Manasseh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse, or 21, verse 6. And he burned his sons as an offering, making his son pass through the fire. We read of good King Josiah, when he comes to the throne and begins a reformation and a cleansing of the land, that he defiled Tuppeth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or daughter as an offering to Moloch. Apparently, 
The topeth was the idol of Moloch in which a great fire was kindled. And in that fire, individuals in their worship of Moloch passed their children through the fire. Described as burning and offering them. Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 35 summarizing why it was that God's judgment was coming upon Judah writes the following. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch. Though I did not command them nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So what does it mean here? What is God warning them of? He is saying, any man who not only worships Moloch, but any man who causes his children to pass through the fire, or as it is stated here, to give of his children to Moloch, to give in the form of a sacrifice in the terms of an offering. Not figuratively. Literally. The description that we have in other cultures of this practice is one of twofold. It either is this. They either slaughter the child by slitting its throat and then toss it into the fire to be incinerated. Or they throw the child into the fire alive to be incinerated. I'd never even thought of such a thing, says God. And yet this is what my people have engaged in as the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. This is the sin. This is what is being warned about. Giving your children over to this God, Moloch. So is it any wonder, secondly then, that when we come to the punishment, that it is as severe as it is? For God calls this sin by name. He tells us, for example, in Leviticus 18.21, that to do so is a profaning of his name. To take your children and to offer them to Moloch is a profaning of the name of the Lord. I sat in my study for a long time wondering, Okay, I understand the horror of this. I understand the murder. I understand the killing of one's own children. In what way does this profane the name of the Lord? Because every one of those Israelite children had the name of the Lord upon them. Because by circumcision and by inclusion under the covenant of circumcision, a covenant of grace by circumcision... These children, generally sons, are the ones that are being offered here. The firstborn son, what an offense to God as to what he will be doing. But they take that firstborn son who has the name of the Lord upon them. Don't miss the catch. Don't miss the catch of what we did here this evening. In baptism, God puts his name on us. In her baptism, 
The name of the Lord God Almighty is now upon Emery Sybil Cock. And now you're going to take a child that has my name upon it and you're going to pass it through the fire? How could you profane my name by such a practice? I've never commanded you to do that. I've never asked you to do it. I've never even thought of it. God states. But God also refers to this as a whoring. That's that last phrase, right? In whoring after Moloch. God compares this to to an adulterous situation where you are pledging yourself, where you are giving yourself over, where you are making a pledge, where you are saying, I am willing to be associated with you, Moloch, and I am turning my back upon the Lord God. I'm in this covenant relationship with the Lord, but I am turning my back on the covenant as a husband or as a wife turns their back upon their spouse to, create, to commit adultery, to engage in whoring. As that covenant is broken, so you are breaking my covenant. It's interesting that God does not call this simply what it is. Murder. He doesn't call it child sacrifice. God says, no, this is something even greater than that. There is something even deeper than this. Why? Because we all recognize the abomination that this is, do we not? We all look at this and say, how could you do that to your children? How could you offer them in such a way? That doesn't need to be said. But you see, we might tend to look at it only that and not see what this is doing in terms of the relationship to the Lord. This is profaning his name. This is turning our back upon the Lord God. And so because that is how the Lord sees this, the punishment, note verse 2, is death by stoning. Anyone who gives his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Oh, but that's not all. As horrific of a punishment that becomes. Look at what follows. I myself will set my face against that man. Now think of what's happening. What are they used to hearing? The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. What happens then if God turns his face away? What is God saying he's doing? You're under my judgment. You're under condemnation. You are damned. You're damned. Because my face of grace is not smiling upon you. If God's face of grace is not smiling upon you, you're damned. 
That's what God is saying. So much so, notice where he goes. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people. Oh, don't miss what God is saying. How did they become the people of God? By a cutting. By circumcision. I myself will cut you off. See, the relationship was established by the cutting of circumcision. God is saying, because of what you have done with your children in this sacrifice to Moloch, I will cut you off completely, totally. One could say, so which of the three punishments do you think is the greatest? There's many commentators who believe that God is actually amping things up. He starts with the gentlest punishment. You're going to be stoned with stones. You think that's bad? Uh, I'm going to turn my face away from you. Meaning, no hope. You think that's bad? That's going to be for an eternity. This is how serious of a sin God took. This act of passing one's children through the fire to Moloch. Note as well that the responsibility to carry out the punishment falls upon the people of the land. Falls upon the other government or on the other covenantal people. And then God says, when we start down at verse 4, if the people don't carry out this punishment, guess what happens next? Then I turn my face towards the whole lot of you. And I will cut you all off. This is pretty serious stuff. A responsibility that falls on the people of the land, upon the covenant people of God, that when one would offer their children as an offering to the Lord. And yet, hopefully, you caught in those passages, right? What happened? It was the kings. It's Ahaz. It's Manasseh. It's the spiritual leaders of Israel who are doing such. What should have been done? The people of the land should have taken it and stoned him. Instead, they don't. What happened? God Turn his face from them. And off they go into captivity. God cuts off. What an amazing thing this is. For us to consider and for us to think about. But what makes it even more of an abomination. Is that God had already lovingly included their children in this covenant. See, it'd be one thing, would it not, if the children are in some sort of no man's land. If the children are somewhere, well, we don't really know where the kids are. We'll do our best job with them. But we're not sure. We'll let the kids make up their own mind when they get to be adults. God says, no, no, I don't want infants. I don't want children to be in that no man's land. I want 
children. I want infants. I want babies. I want Emery to know that I bless her and I will keep her and I will make my face to shine upon her and be gracious to her. That I will lift up my countenance upon her. Why? Because they're covenant children. And they live in the context of that covenant. I mean, what do you think is going on in Ahaz's and Manasseh and the rest of those people who are going to eventually engage in this? What do you think's going on in their mind? Hey, I think it'd be a good idea if I took my eldest son and just threw him in the fire and incinerated him. What they're thinking is, that's better than being in a covenant relationship with God. There are more advantages. Why? Because I don't believe in the Lord. I don't trust the Lord. But I trust Moak. I trust him. And I trust him with the care of my children, even as they are incinerated. God has lovingly already included these children. These children belong to the Lord. They're His. That sign of of that circumcision was the visible evidence down from generation to generation to generation that they belonged to the Lord. That's what God is telling Abraham in Genesis 17. They are under God's blessings. They are under his care. They're under his goodness. They're under his love. They're under his law. What a blessing. And they're throwing it all away. They're tossing it off. Can't think of God's love. That a child, eight days old, is circumcised and is included into this covenant. The same covenant promises and blessings that an 85-year-old man had. The same blessings that a 100-year-old guy is going to have called Abraham. Isn't that gracious and loving of God? You say, well, why? (laughs) Because if it were set up this way, hey, when you come to the point of faith and belief... Then I'll, great, then I'll include you in the covenant. When's that going to happen? When is that going to take place? When is any individual on their own going to come to faith and belief in Jesus Christ? The Reformed answer is never. But God graciously includes. Well, maybe if, if they meet so many markers and, and, and keep so many laws and they keep those laws for, for such a length of time, maybe then God would graciously include. What does the word say? 
And no man can be justified by the works of the law, only condemned. Do you see the loving inclusion? God had included these children who can't even yet express faith into his covenant, into that sphere of blessing and goodness. And yet these people are taking these children and bringing them to Topeth and throwing them into the incinerator. It is so gracious of God to include them. Oh, and I know a few of you probably here tonight are thinking, well, yes, Pastor, I understand all of that, but that all ended at Matthew. Did it? Did it? Did God's covenant that he promised to Abraham forever and ever actually end? Did God lie then? Did God say, hey, by the way, nope, wait, Matthew 1.1, by the way, time out, I've ended, I've ended, I've concluded this covenant thing. I've, I've got a new scheme going now. Yeah, sorry I said forever and ever, I didn't mean that. I only meant tell New Testament. No. You see, this graciousness of God to include our children into the covenant continues. It is a continual inclusion that God has. I don't need to rehearse all the verses that we read in the form. That's why I read them in the form. We get it from the mouth of Jesus when he, when he talks about of such is the kingdom of God. And if you recall that sermon, if not, go back to it. It's not about being childlike and simple because he was dealing with infants there. It's about the fact that God saves us because we'll never have the faith to be saved without his grace. Or we read of Peter in Acts 2.36. This promise is to you and to your children after you. What do you think those people are thinking? Oh, this is something new. This is something different. Or are they thinking, this is still covenant. Or Paul when he talks about, if only one of you is a believer, then your children are holy. Where does holy word children come from? Old Testament. Or you have the Apostle John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. What is he calling the congregation over and over and over to whom he's writing? You, my little children. He doesn't say, you spiritually mature adults who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, no, you're little children. Why? Because little children are graciously included in God's covenant. It's never rescinded. It's never changed. The early church, they're baptizing children. What does it mean to be reformed? 
To be reformed means that we follow, well, maybe like the Westminster, or like the Westminster Confession of Faith, which says in chapter 28, paragraph 4, not only those who actually profess faith in Christ and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of one or both believing parents are. Not, well, maybe you could think about it, are to be baptized. That, my friends, is what it means to be reformed. Don't hijack our name. There is, oh, this will go out. There is no such thing as a reformed Baptist. Either you're Baptist or you're reformed. If you're reformed, you believe that God graciously includes our children in his covenant of grace. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer, 74. Should infants also be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people. And they no less than adults are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. That, my friends, is what it means to be reformed. Don't, don't do this, well, I believe in the reform things in regards to justification by faith. But everything else I don't. If you don't accept this, you're not reformed. Because the way and the only way that God works is by covenant relationship. That's why tonight, that's why tonight when Hannah and Vince come forward and say, we, we want to present Emory, for baptism. We, we want God's name upon her. And we commit ourselves to raising her that way. We, we commit ourselves to teaching her that which God's word teaches. And we're going to pray for her. And, and we're going to set an example. We're making a commitment here tonight not to take our little Emory and offer her to Moloch and to the gods of this world, and to the gods of culture of this day and age. We, we want to see the name of the Lord our God upon our little girl. And we will do everything possible. And we, as the congregation, agree. We want to do everything possible. To make sure that Emery hears the word of the Lord. God's truth. And my friends, don't think for a moment that Moloch is gone. Just this past week, an article has come out. And there is a petition before the courts. For those states, those few states that, 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 that took some action to limit access to abortion. You know what the new challenge is? We have religious rights. And we believe abortion is a religious right. Moloch lives. When you say, 
It is by my religion that I desire to take my child to be slaughtered and then to be incinerated. Moloch is still here. Oh, but we might say that's the extreme. Yes, maybe it is. But what are you doing with your children? See, there are only two choices here. What about just leaving them and letting them go? Where do blind children go? They go into the middle of the road. Where do blind children go? They wander into the ponds. Where do spiritually blind children go? After their fallen heart the gods of this world. When Hannah and Vince were told that they were pregnant, that immediately brought about a choice. What are we going to do with this child? Now, having been raised in Christian families, having been raised in Christian homes, there was a choice, but there was an answer to the choice soon. We're going to train her to know the Lord. We're going to take vows. We're going to make promises before the people of God and before God himself that we will train her. We set up a date. We have a baptism. We want God's name on Emory. We want her part of that visible church. We want her to be included in God's blessings. You see, and where this chapter begins, it begins in this, this abominable situation where we go, how could anybody ever do that? Look at our world, my friends. Look at the culture in which we live in. But in the midst of that culture, here we are. Here we are. Here you are. Parents who have been where Hannah and Vince were. Children. You've been here, many of you. Or at another church and another minister has baptized you. God's name is upon you. And the fact that your parents did that and made that decision is a blessing. But what's even greater is that's what God desires. He desires that his name be upon you. He desires that you come to know the Lord. He desires that you hear the stories of faith through the word. He desires that you come to know Jesus Christ. He desires that you confess Jesus Christ. Because you're in his covenant. 
And he wants to bless. He desires to bless. And he will bless. How many of us are not the recipients of that blessing of covenant families for generations and generations and generations where we see God's blessing? Some of you are just beginning that path. Some of you are just starting along that path of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different with my family. We're going to be a covenantal family. We're going to understand that, that this is all by God's grace. Because you see, in the final analysis, Hannah and Vince didn't make a decision to do this. God drew them to do this. It's a covenant of grace because the only reason we have the desire to even enter into it is by grace. What a blessing. Joshua is going to say to the people one day, choose you this day who you will serve. That's a question we face. Who will we serve? The gods of this culture or our covenant God? I titled this message, The Imperative. Of baptism. An imperative is a command. This isn't an option. This isn't free choice. This isn't I get to play different schemes. It is an imperative that we bring our children not to Moloch, but we want the name of the Lord our God upon him. May God bless us. May God bless you, Vince and Hannah, as you seek to raise Emory. And you know what? God says when we do, he will bless that effort. We rest on him. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. A powerful word for the culture in which we live. May we hear you speak. May we seek to follow faithfully. Thank you. Thank you for a baptism into the covenant of grace that we could witness tonight and be reminded, be reminded of how it is that we are to raise and train our children, but also how loving it is that you include even our infant children into your covenant. In Christ, the victor's glorious name we pray. And God's people say, amen. We conclude with number 192. 192. Let's stand to sing.
And now receive that glorious blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord grant you his peace. Now go in his name. Live as his people. Amen. Amen. 